finish him. Whoop. Hello. This is Rish Outfield. And what you have stumbled upon this dark and dreary evening is the Rish Outcast. I do not envy you, stranger. But then I do not envy me. Can you envy you? No, never mind. Hey guys, I'm not sure how good this episode is going to be. <laughs> so let me get that out of the way right here. But I had this thought in my head the other day that I, I wanted to talk about this. I was going to blog about it. And then a confluence of events lined up that made me... Well, there was a story that I stumbled upon and I thought I would share it with you. And we'll do that right here at the top of the show. And then I will present my topic. So what you're about to hear is The Lighthouse by Edgar Allan Poe. And uh, I gotta warn you, you're not gonna like it. Now, you may be a huge fan of Poe. You may like his purple prose. He is the father of the detective novel. But even if you're Marshall Latham, you're not gonna be very pleased with this story. With no further ado, here you go. The Lighthouse by Edgar Allan Poe. January 1, 1796. This day, my first on the lighthouse, I will make this entry in my diary, as agreed on with de Grotte. As regularly as I can keep the journal, I will, but there is no telling what may happen to a man all alone as I am. I may get sick or worse. So far well. The cutter had a narrow escape, but why dwell on that, since I am here, all safe? My spirits are beginning to revive already at the mere thought of being, for once in my life at least, thoroughly alone, for, of course, Neptune, large as he is, is not to be taken into consideration as society. Would to heaven I had ever found in society one half as much faith as in this poor dog, in such case I and society might never have parted, even for the year. What most surprises me is the difficulty de Grot had in getting me the appointment, and I a noble of the realm. It could not be that the consistory had any doubt of my ability to manage the light. One man had attended it before now, and got on quite as well as and got on quite as well as the three that are usually put in. The duty is a mere nothing. The duty is a mere nothing, and the printed instructions are as plain as possible. It never would have done to let Orndorff accompany me, with his intolerable gossip, not to mention that everlasting Meerschaum. Besides, I wish to be alone. It is strange that I never observed, until this moment, how dreary a sound that word has. Alone. I could half fancy there was some peculiarity in the echo of these cylindrical walls, but, oh, no, this is all nonsense. I do believe I am going to get nervous about my insulation. That will never do. I have not forgotten de Grotte's prophecy. 
Now for a scramble to the lantern and a good look around to see what I can see. <laughs> to see what I can see, indeed. Not very much. The swell is subsiding a little, I think. But the cutter will have a rough passage home, nevertheless. She will hardly get within sight of the Norland before noon tomorrow, and yet it can hardly be more than a hundred and ninety or two hundred miles. January 2nd. I have passed this day in a species of ecstasy that I find it impossible to describe. My passion for solitude could scarcely have been more thoroughly gratified. I do not say satisfied, for I believe I should never be satiated with such delight as I have experienced today. The wind lulled about daybreak, and by the afternoon the sea had gone down materially. Nothing to be seen, with the telescope even but ocean and sky, with an occasional gull. January 3rd. A dead calm all day. Towards evening, the sea looked very much like glass. A few seaweeds came in sight, but besides them, absolutely nothing all day, not even the slightest speck of cloud. Occupied myself in exploring the lighthouse. It is a very lofty one as I find to my cost when I have to ascend its interminable stairs, not quite 160 feet, I should say, from the low water mark to the top of the lantern. From the bottom inside the shaft, however, the distance to the summit is 180 feet at least. Thus the floor is 20 feet below the surface of the sea, even at low tide. It seems to me that the hollow interior at the bottom should have been filled in with solid masonry, Undoubtedly, the whole would have been thus rendered more safe. But what am I thinking about? A structure such as this is safe enough under any circumstances. I should feel myself secure in it, during the fiercest hurricane that ever raged. And yet I have heard seamen say, occasionally, with a wind at southwest, the sea has been known to run higher here than anywhere, with this single exception of the western opening of the Straits of Magellan. No mere sea, though, could accomplish anything with this solid, iron-riveted wall, which, at fifty feet from the high-water mark, is four feet thick, if one inch. The basis on which the structure rests seems to me to be chalk. January 4th. So that was The Lighthouse by Edgar Allan Poe. You may already know, well, my guess is you don't. I had never heard of The Lighthouse. Why would I? This was the last piece that Poe was working on before he died. And this is all that exists. Uh, it's all that's extant, as my friend Jeff would say, because he's smart. Edgar Allan Poe died mysteriously and unexpectedly. And this was the story fragment, or book fragment, or not a fragment at all, depending on who you ask, that uh, was discovered that he had been working on when he, he died. And there are a few that believe that, 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 that the lighthouse is complete, that it was intended to be, as I just presented it, I'm sure he would have clarified a detail or two if that had been his intent. 
that uh, <laughs> the, the lighthouse keeper died. And thus the story was over. But I don't personally believe that that is the case. Uh, a lot of folks think that this was the start of a novel, or at least of a lengthy piece, that various things were going to go on, and he was going to make some discovery, and, well, who knows, because the story is forever incomplete. Abandoned, I guess you could say. Although there have been writers that have taken it upon themselves to complete the manuscript. Uh, Robert Bloch famously wrote out the rest of the, the book, and it was published in like a Weird Tales or Amazing Fantasy or Amazing Stories or Magazine of Science Fiction and Fantasy. It was some, some pulp printed his version as <laughs> a long-lost Edgar Allan Poe classic. Uh, and I'd like to read that. I should have sought that out. But that is not what this episode is about. I have said many times in the last four or five years, usually in my blog, but I'm sure I've said it on this show, that the worst completed short story I have written is better than my best unfinished work. Now, I've said it, I've phrased it differently over the years. I need to come up with like a concise catchy sounding way of, of putting it because I, I feel like I'm going to be saying this a lot for the rest of my life and I believe it. I have a lot of story fragments that are really good. I've got a lot of stories I was enthusiastic about that have great ideas behind them that have good, well, fair characters in them, great introductions good scenes, etc. But when I read them, I am disappointed because they're abandoned, because they're fragments, because they are incomplete. And when I first started writing as a, as a kid, as a little boy, this was a problem that arose even then. Even when I was like five years old, six years old, I had a tremendous amount of difficulty finishing any project. If it was something I was writing for fun, chances are it would not ever get done. If it was something I was writing for school, yeah, usually I would have it because they'd give you time to write it in class and there would be a deadline. And I have found in my adult life that a deadline is my friend, that I need some kind of fire lit under my tail to make me finish things that I start. In 1990, I decided I want to be a writer. I wanted to be other things too. I, I, but in 1990, we got a personal computer in the house. And suddenly I was able to save my work and go back to it. And that was revolutionary. That really helped me. And just as importantly, I could print out another copy. I could share my work with other people. Now, granted, it was a circle of like three people that I shared my work with, but that's still practically what I'm doing right now, huh? Oh, sorry, one of you three has turned it off as soon as the Poe story ended. 
Thank you. And in those days, in the days before that computer, I would say that of every 10 stories that I began, I would complete, I would finish one, which is terrible. And then once we got that computer, I started, I probably raised the number of completed stories versus uh, started stories to about three out of every 10, which is still terrible. You know, years go by really fast. Guys, unless you're an old man, unless you're like 80 years old, you've no idea how fast the years between 1990 and 2021 have gone. Maybe you do. So as the years have gone by, I've gotten better, but I have not gotten good. Last year, 2020 was my most productive year ever. And I wrote every single day from February 1st on, not missing a single day. And I finished a novel, uh, several novellas, a handful of short stories, a song or two, a poem, a bunch of sketches, well, a, a few. And even then, I would say that it was 50-50. That of every two stories or projects that I began, I would finish one. And I'm sort of proud of that even. That accomplishment is so much above where I've been in my whole life. I, because I was writing every single day, sometimes I didn't have the chance, the time to lose interest in what I was writing. I would write and then two or three days later, I would be done and it was time to move on to the next project. And knowing that I had to write the next day, it was so much easier to just grab what I had been working on yesterday and continue it. Now we're in 2021, and by the time you're hearing this, I'm probably not writing every single day anymore. This February of 2021, I wrote, geez, 20,000 words? And February of 2020, I wrote over 70,000 words. But February 2020 was my best month ever. Regardless of that, I've started abandoning projects again. And part of it is because I made the mistake of starting a couple of big projects, novel length projects. And it, it is easy to lose interest or to lose focus or to get discouraged on a big project. Whereas short stories, I, I've written short stories in one sitting before, and I, I don't really have an excuse to not finish a short story in this long stretch of writing every single day. But there were some in 2020 that I, I started and I abandoned. There were two dead and breakfast stories that I began and didn't finish. There was a dead and breakfast novel that I started in 2020 called Only Have Eyes For You. And it was meant to just be a short story. And then it took a left turn 
and suddenly I was like, oh, oh, this is going to be interesting because a, a subplot developed. And then I started developing both of them. And then a third subplot developed. And I realized, oh, no, this is going to be longer than any of the other stories in this series. And I was right. And I abandoned it. But then in 2021, uh, I picked it up again and uh, I finished it. And it is a novel, but I think I've, I've talked about this before. Two of the three subplots get all tied up and resolved and one of them doesn't. And I don't know if that is acceptable or not. It's a series. So I feel like maybe that's going to be forgiven. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's forgivable that these characters are, are, are going on. And so, you know, there's more story to, to, to tell. But I, I don't know. I don't know! I've not ever been. Before 2019, I had never been a series guy. But in 2019, I wrote this story, The Night Clerk. And I just loved the process of it. I, I loved the experience and I loved the characters. And, you know, I, I wrote another one and then I wrote another one. And by the end of the year, by the end of 2019, I think I had written four. And then in 2020, I wrote probably another five. But I didn't ever complete those two that I started in 2020. And uh, I don't know when I'll put out the novel because what I've been doing is publishing them in the order that I wrote them. And so when I get to that novel, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. Because you can't just sit down and say, this week, I'm going to put out that novel. It's just too big. We'll see. So I don't know if you're like I am. Uh, probably not. But let's just pretend for a minute that you are like I am. And that you get ideas. You're passionate about them. They sound like they're really good. And you sit down and you start to write. And somewhere along the way, it starts to get hard. Or you get distracted. Or you run out of time. Perhaps you're of two minds about where the story could go. Maybe it goes down a, a blind alley and you find you don't like where the story has gone and you stop. I can't explain why that happens over and over and over again. But as long ago as when I was in college, I was told that a lot of writers, and this was screenwriters that we were talking about, have really strong openings to their scripts, but very weak endings. And the reason for that was because they had so much more experience with the openings, with starting a new project. And it rang true to me at the time, and it still rings true. I have, just in 2021, started projects and I guess I've finished projects as well, but not nearly as many as those I have started. One of my goals for the, the year 2020 was to finish a story that I wrote called Balms and Sears. And instead of story, let's say book. I think last time I looked, 
it was in the it was around twenty nine thousand words, which is smack in the middle of novella territory. I think they say that forty thousand words is a novel. There's something called a novelette, and it seems like a novelette is longer than a novella but shorter than a novel. Anyhow, that was one of my goals because Balms and Sears was a story that I started writing, I think, in 2017. Maybe it was even 2016. And it was one where I really felt like it was a good story, a good idea. I liked the characters. I liked the world that it was set in. And I knew how it was going to end. And the ending felt inspired. Oh, wow, this is going to be really, really good. But I had a really hard time getting to that ending. It's about a teenage boy. He's in high school. And I thought, you know, he makes friends with like an athlete, the popular kid. And uh, the friend that he makes, Chase, is gay. And he's in the closet. And at one point while he's talking to Alec, Chase tells him his secret. And Alec feels like he has no choice but to tell Chase his secret. I, I, I really liked that. I thought that that was neat. I, I, I don't write a lot of gay characters. And this was a new perspective for me. Then I had a scene where there were some bullies. And I needed... I needed Alec to lose his temper with these bullies, but because I had set Chase up as a popular kid in school and a an athlete, I think he was either on the basketball team or on, yeah, I think basketball, because I like basketball. I don't like a lot of the other sports. Sorry, because I had set Chase up as like a popular athletic guy, the bully scene didn't work. I needed there to be helplessness and Alec to see helplessness and say, well, I'm not helpless in this case. And so I invented a new character who is a fat kid that is a geeky, funny, fat kid that goes to the school who is another friend of Alec's. Then I thought, uh, you know, I, I had in mind that there'd be a love interest. What if the love interest is the cousin of the fat kid? Anyway, it just started getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more bloated. And I didn't know what to do to get to that ending that I was so proud of. Oh, no, that is cool. That's a fox. Uh, so I, I, I can still see it. I drove to the mouth of the canyon uh, to do a hike. One of my goals in 2021 is to go on a hike every single month. And here I am, and I just saw a, a little fox. That's cool. So um, eventually I gave up on Balms and Sears. And what sucks is that it had become really, really big, but I was still fairly close to that ending. In a week, I could have gotten to that ending and finished the story if I had wanted to. Uh, I had introduced like some antagonists, and the antagonist was going to tell Alec the truth, something about himself that he didn't know, and that would be the gateway to the the finale, to the to conclusion of the story, and I didn't write it. And then 2020 ended, and I'll be honest, I probably didn't write a single word on Balms and Sears in 2020, even though that was one of my goals for that 
year. And it was 366 days. Now that is interesting. The people ahead of me are putting something on their shoes. It looks like the, the chains that you put on tires when you're driving through snow. Is this path that dangerous? Huh. I'm sorry, I'm getting distracted. And that's another reason why these stories end up abandoned, isn't it? So I, needless to say that as cool as a lot of the ideas are in my head, they, they don't mean anything unless I finish the story. I, I guess that goes hand in hand with my tendency, until recently at least, although it's still my tendency, to write something. And then when it's done, I just put it away and I go on to the next project and I never share it with anyone. If I could somehow convince myself that it doesn't have worth or the, the accomplishment is not complete until I put it out there where other people can read it or listen to it. If I could do that, then maybe that would help in a lot of ways. I've been recording a bunch of stories for an upcoming audio collection. And I have gone above and beyond. I just keep recording new stories. And at this point, I have enough for three audio collections. And yet, just this week, I recorded another story. Instead of focusing on publishing the audio collection, which I could, I have all the stories, not only written, but recorded and edited. I could put that out and then focus on the next volume, which I have enough stories written and edited to also put out. And yet I don't, I just keep recording new stories and I, well, it could be worse. At least I am doing something. But I guess uh, the, the point is on Bombs and Sears that it does no one any good, including me, the state that it currently is in. One of my goals for 2021 is to publish that story. Well, to I don't know if it was to publish it or just to finish it, but it probably should be both. And I did get it out the other day and... Excuse me while I whip this out. Look it over, try and identify in what condition it was. And yeah, it's in rough condition. Like there are sections because I wrote it over a long, long period of time, there are sections where I didn't know the characters' names except for Alec. And so I would just have a line, or I would say, friend said. And yeah, there was a little subplot that I looked at this week that I didn't even remember was part of the story, and it certainly doesn't go anywhere. But, you know, I need to buckle down and focus on it and force myself to get it done. And then, of course, you have all the problems of rewriting and is it very good and am I doing myself a favor by putting it out there? That, that point is sort of moot because once it's out there, my job is pretty much done. You know what I mean? It's like you, you release it out into the world and then you can move on to your next project. And even if it is not well received, it is better than a project that is not done. Con conversely, you'll hear 
writers, they say, what's the favorite thing that you've written? And almost invariably, almost every single one will say, the thing I'm working on right now. And I don't know if that is true, but it's a great answer because it means that they're focused on this thing. It is all that they think about and they're having a good time because they write for a living. You, you make a living with your imagination. How wonderful would that be? I guess that's a rhetorical question. What I'd like to do is give you guys some advice as to how to overcome this problem and say, listen, if this happens to you, here are a couple of tricks that will help you get through it, get through to the end. And I, I would think that having done this this long, I should have learned some of those, but I don't have any for you because it's still a problem for me. Uh, like I said, I've brought my numbers way, way up, but they're still pretty sad numbers. If I said that one out of every two projects that I begin, I finish. That still means I'm wasting half of my time, and it's probably more than that, because a lot of the projects I don't finish are big, and that takes up a lot of time, and it's a lot of time to waste, which is just a bummer, dude. But I have gotten better, and one of the reasons is, you know, if you, if you write every single day, if you set aside a time every single day, you will find that things get done faster. I have talked before about the writers' conference that I go to in February, except for in 2021, where there's always somebody who has to boast about how dedicated they are to their art. They're on a panel, and they'll tell you how they have time to write because they have a full-time job, or they are involved in sports and a full-time job and they write in the time that remains to them or they're from utah and so they have 11 kids or you know even if you don't have 11 kids you have a family and that tends to take up the time that is not spent providing for the family and so there will be somebody that says i wake up at 5 a.m every single day so that i can write before i go to work and, you know, somebody else will say, I take Fridays between 7 and 11 to write. And nobody can bother me during that time. I'm not your mom anymore. I'm a writer and that's what I do. And I don't do anything but that. Yes, setting aside a time when you focus on this thing daily, if you can do it. But if you can't, part of your lunch break part of the time that you would be stuck in traffic. I remember when I w lived in LA, my roommate moved way, way, way up north. And I can't even remember at this time what the name of the town was. It was like Tustin or something like that. And it was so far from my job that I would spend two or three hours a day stuck in traffic. And it was soul-sucking. The traffic thing sucked so much that I decided, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go to the mall or to the bookstore 
and I'm going to read for an hour that I would normally be stuck in traffic. And then at about 7.15 or 7.30, I will get on the 405 and I will go home. And then it would take me 30 minutes or 32 minutes, or if it was a very good day, like 23 minutes to get home. And it made such a difference. I was willing to sacrifice that time. No, sacrifice is not the word. I better used that time. I invested that time in something else. And even if you go out to your car and sit and you write in a notebook or on a laptop or dictate into your phone, that is better than not doing it. There are so many people that will go to Starbucks or Barnes and Noble or, you know, someplace like that with a bunch of tables and a coffee shop. And that's what they do. And, you know, I envy that. I think that's great. I go to the library and I, I do it a lot because of COVID. The library still really it closes early, but three to five days a week, I am there when the they start to flash their lights and they make this super loud annou- announcement that's just jolting it is frightening like one of those youtube videos where they where something pops into screen and goes Aah! that's what it sounds like when they get on the intercom probably because they don't know how to do it but then they will make the announcement and they do it every hour that you know because of covid you have to stay six feet apart you need to wear your mask but they do it at the end of the night uh, to say that the, the library will be closing in 15 minutes. And then they do it again to say the library will be closing in five minutes. And one time, it took me long enough to get out of there that they said the library is closed. But that's something that I have trained myself to do. And in the springtime, in the summertime, I tend to go to the cabin. My family has a cabin. It is close enough that I can do it. And I go by myself and it is only, well, not only, but it is mostly dedicated to writing and reading and editing. And I've done a lot of recording there too. It's a good place to go because there are fewer distractions. And hey, there's another piece of advice. You got to figure out some way to avoid distractions. I know writers who have invested in a second laptop That is just for writing. It is not connected to the internet. It has no games on it. There are no pictures of young Britney Spears on this laptop. I, I, you know, that's very smart. I've seen laptops in stores that are very small and thin, and you could just take them wherever you went. You take them on a plane. You could take them on a, I almost said a roller coaster. I, I don't know why that came to mind, but you could. One thing I've found that is quite useful is telling somebody about a project that you're working on. You have a friend. You have a spouse. You have somebody that is somewhat interested in what you do. Or if you don't, you have a podcast or you have a blog or you have a Facebook account or a Twitter and you can mention it. And somebody else might get excited about it. Somebody else might ask you about it. Somebody else might encourage you or bug you and uh, hold you to it. Weirder things have happened. That's, that's something that's, that's useful. Telling people 
that you have this goal. And, and, you know, that works for a lot of things. It doesn't just have to be writing. You know, losing weight or not eating carbs or exercising or not abducting drifters for use in illicit medical experiments. These are things that you can say, I am working on this, putting it out there so that people know that it is something that, you know, that is important. I encourage you to support me on this, to help me remember not to eat fatty foods, not to make human centipedes. These are things that can be useful. Other people can be useful. I don't really understand how human nature works, but a lot of times we can pull each other up. We can encourage other people. We can, whatever the opposite of competing is, we can do that. Cooperate, maybe. It also can help you if you talk through it with another person. If you have a friend, if you have a lover, if you have a roommate, you know, there's the the blind person begging on the street that has no other place to go. You talk through your idea and where it's going and maybe where you're stuck or the things that you're enthusiastic about, but the questions that you have. And, and if you're lucky, your friend or your lover or your roommate or your homeless person is like Rich Outfield. And they say, holy cow, that sounds great. Oh, that, I really like that idea. Oh, and I like this. And what about this? And you go, no, 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 not that. But this... And you come up with ideas that they just ring true to you. You know that this is where the story is supposed to go. But you got there by talking through it with another person. Now, if you're unlucky, then the person you're telling the story idea to will fall asleep. Even though it's three in the afternoon. And you'll think, oh, I must not uh, be such a creative genius after all. But no, your, your, your friends are good. They will encourage you. They will get excited about what you're excited about, I think. Here's something that might work for you. Skip to the end. Skip to the end. I mean it. You stuck at some point? Just write the final scene. Write the final confrontation. Write the climax. Write the resolution. Just skip to the end. Have you the win? And that may help you. If you've already written the ending, perhaps you can work toward reaching that ending. You can just jump back and close in that blank section from where you left off to where you picked up. That might speed you up. That might make you more encouraged to finish what you started. Uh, and maybe knowing where it's going, you can set some things up knowing that they will pay off in that scene that you've already written. Here comes my Wesley now. Fezzik, the portcullis! Sometimes that is helpful for me, especially when I've been stuck and I don't know where to go. Maybe I should try that on Balms and Sears. Except for that I have two-thirds of the story written. Three quarters, probably. Why not just write the last quarter? Another thing that uh, might be helpful is looking at the big picture. Taking a step back and maybe on an index card, write the story beats. Establish what you've already written that's out of the way. And then just beat by beat, what do you still have to write before you get to that ending? 
this has worked for me a couple of times where I just, you know, it's okay, I still have to introduce this. I still have to have this kind of conflict. I still have to have this confrontation. And then, oh, wow, resolution. The story is almost done. If I had known I was this close to being done, I never would have quit. And, you know, that, that, that's just a generalization. You could really only be a third of the way through the story. But if you have that attitude of, oh, you know, look how close I am to being done with this. Your Wesley is dead. One thing that doesn't work for me is going back earlier in the story and rewriting, revising. But that doesn't mean that it won't work for you. Some people, you know, they're stuck. They're like, shoot, what do I do? I don't, I don't know what needs to be next. Go back two scenes ago, read through it, make some revisions, and maybe it'll get your mind back into the game, back where those characters are. Get those voices going in your head again. I mean, it certainly could work. I know that there are professional authors that they read the day before's work because it puts them back in the creative mindset of where they were. Although, you know, that seems silly to me because it was just yesterday. Maybe they're like I am when I'm really tired and I don't remember what I wrote. Man and wife say man and wife. Sometimes just writing dialogue is helpful to me. I, I just write the dialogue and, and, and I'll fill in the rest later. And conversely, there are people that would rather not have to walk through the dialogue because that takes a lot longer than just writing prose. So just write the prose and say something like, you know, Mr. Anderson says something funny here. Miss Coyote says something acerbic. They argue. And then you just write what happens after that. I'm not the best person to be doling out advice. There's a guy on Facebook. I nearly said I, I have a friend on Facebook, but I'm not going to phrase it that way. He posts his writing accomplishments each and every day. And I'm trying to remember if there was ever a day where he seemed even remotely human to me. But the one today that he put, he said that he got 7,000 words, not today, but before 9 a.m. today. He's been known to do 11, 12, 13,000 words in a day. And that's pretty close to what I got in the whole month of February 2021. This sort of thing might encourage you and it might inspire you to work harder, to say, well, this guy can get 13,000 words in a single day. I can get 10% of that. What it encouraged me to do was to unfriend the guy. Man on what? But that's not saying that that was the right choice to make today. It's simply saying that it doesn't work for me. That kind of competition just discourages me. But there are plenty of people that would get a rush from that, would be like, geez, that guy can do it. And he has a beard. I can certainly do it. Uh, you've heard me say this before, but it's totally true. You're not competing against that guy. You're not competing against me. 
you're competing against yourself. Now, look, if you're out there and you're an actual best-selling author, then yeah, you're competing against the people who are also best-selling authors. But it doesn't seem like either of us is in that place right now. You can do better today than you did two days ago or a week ago. Or you can do better tomorrow than you did today. And if you do, then you are at least nominally successful. None of the things that I have said that have suggested are going to work for all of you. And certainly all of the things that I have suggested are going to work for none of you. But if you can find tricks, if you can step outside of what you normally do, if you can figure out a way... There have been times when... I go to the library, even though I know I'm not going to have very much time. I have 40 minutes before the library closes. But I'm going to do what I can in that 40 minutes and not be distracted by anything else. And just for 40 minutes, I'm going to write as hard as I can. There have been times when I'll text big and say, I have 40 minutes. I'm going to get X number of words. And then I just go for it. And yeah, I've absolutely failed a bunch of times. I've had to text him and say, yeah, you know, I only got 263 words. But that's still 263 words more than I had. And I need to see my accomplishments like that. That glass needs to be half full. And I am going to keep trying to do this. Uh, I think the most important thing I can say uh, concerning finishing things is The Rish Outcast was produced under a Creative Commons 3.0 license, which makes it free to listen to, share and poke fun at. But the podcast cannot be altered or sold. If you didn't completely despise this episode, why don't you support the show with our Patreon fund over at patreon.com? Every dollar gives me more strength to put outfield in his place. There were bushes only a few feet away from where the two of them lie. Lie? Lied? Laid? only a few feet away from where the two of them laid. From where the two of them lied. Only a few feet away from where the two of them laid. So it's actually lay. That sucks. What is Anglesworth's first name? Herbert Anglesworth. Okay, that makes sense. He's named after Herbert Patterson. There's a cock. And yeah, I hope that he's dead. You hope that Herbert is dead? Yeah, why not? Because he's a human being. Uh, only on a technicality. It's just such a dumb idea, isn't it? Oh, do you cut that bit out? But it was dead this time. As dead as Dillinger. Huh. Why did I put as dead as Dillinger? That, that has to have been something from a Stephen King story or something, right?
I just don't know why I would... <sighs> Not there either. Oh, here it is. Jesus H. Christ. What if that happened in the middle of the night? I would shit the bed. Who was the last woman executed in the United States? According to some information I found on Wikipedia, Lisa Marie Montgomery. Oh, my God, they killed a woman last week. There have been 17 women executed in the United States since 1976. And this woman last week was... Oh, my gosh. Warnos actually looks like Charlize Theron. Who is the last American to be executed with the electric chair? According to The Guardian, since 2000, only 14 death row inmates have been executed in the electric chair. The most recent was Robert Gleason in Virginia in January 2013. I just don't know why I would say Dillinger. Dillinger died, like, when my dad was a kid. As dead as Robert Gleason, the last guy to be executed in the electric chair. Or that Warnos woman that got lethal injection. The one that skinny blonde played in the movie, for that matter. I should have never... I never should have made any way. I never should have made any way with my book as long as he was within reach of me. With his in... I never should have made any way with my book as long as he was in... I never should have made any way with my book as long as he was in... As long as he was in with... As long as he was within reach of me. I could half fancy there was some peculiarity in the echo of these cylindrical... I could half fancy there was some peculiarity in the echo of these cylindrical... In the echo of these cylindr... cylindrical... I could half fancy there was some peculiarity in the echo of these... I could half fancy there was some peculiarity in the echo of these cylindrical... Cylindrical... Jesus. Which was probably the nicest thing she'd ever said to her. God, why does that sound wrong? Because it is... It never would have done to let Orndorff accompany me. It never would have done to a... It never would have done to let Orndorff accompany me. It never would have done to let Orndorff accompany me. Somebody once told me... Two C's and an H. 